Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. So I didn't want to do it, but <clears throat> I just got to, there's an elephant in the room. I got to dress it. I know my pants are not that baggy today. That's too much excitement. It's too much excitement for that. Uh, they're still loose, but they're not as loose. Uh, and here's what happened. In case you didn't know, a few weeks ago, um, my wife gave birth to our second child, Maven Alexander Klott. So, you know, I was thinking about it. I'm like, I'm 30 now. You know, I got two kids. You know, I, I just, I, I can't be wearing baggy pants like that. You know, I just got, I got to grow up. You know, I got to grow up. And uh, at least on Sunday mornings. Watch out for Wednesday nights, though. So. Coming to a service near you, uh, if, if that's allowed. I guess I'll find out if that's allowed. And uh, no, seriously, but um, I am very excited to be a father of two. Um, I have some pictures, which I'll show in a second. Shout out to my wife, who's been an absolute champion. Um, absolute champion. She's out watching. And, uh, and what's really funny is, like, two is an interesting number. Like, I grew up with a sibling, and uh, God bless you, twice, yes. Um, and a third time if you need to. But uh, what, what I've found is two is funny because I grew up, you know, two. But there's so many people with a lot more kids than two. And, uh, and so I can never really talk to them about any challenges I have or anything I'm going through ever about anything because they're always like, well, you have two kids. So, like, stop, you know, like, it's easy. What are you talking about? And, uh, you know, and so, like, I asked Casey Bombasi, you know, about, hey, what, you know, and he's like, dude, shut up. You got, you know, you got two kids. I got three, you know. It's easy, it's easy, you got this, you got this. And, uh, and so it's really funny because the first time, you know, with Brielle, it felt like a lot harder, just everything was, was more difficult first time. Um, and the one to two has actually been pretty, pretty solid, thank God. Uh, and he's sleeping great, eating great, all the things. And so with Brielle, it took us about four or five months to get out uh, for a date night. And uh, some of you might be like, oh, wow, you, you know, why'd it take so long? It's like, well, you know, first time, so I'm figuring it out. Second kid. Here's a little flex for all of you. We went out on a date night last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We said we're not gonna, we're not gonna, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna go on a date night. And so um, we've been hearing about this place. Uh, actually, does anybody want to see a picture of Maven? Okay, that's what I thought. Let's throw up a picture of Maven. I think I got a couple. Look at that cutie. He's very attentive. Very attentive. All right, let's go to the next one. I also great haircut. Um, Maven. Little cutie, the fireplace in the background. Thank you, Daniel and Jenny Steele. Beautiful house. And then that was actually last night, believe it or not. Very, very recent. And the next one. I know. I love him. I love him. Um, baggy pants. Yeah, he has baggy pants. Yeah. <laughs> He's young, okay? He can still rock them. I'm still figuring out how to do the, the top with the bottom. I'll figure it out. Um, and so we went on stay night. I've been hearing about this, this place. We've been kind of waiting for it to open. It's called Lillian's in Rancho Santa Fe. And uh, they redid the inn at Rancho Santa Fe and kind of redid the restaurant. I was honestly a little nervous about it because anytime you redo something good, I'm like, you better, do, you better level this thing up because I really enjoyed what was here before. And, uh, and so we went. And uh, I don't know if we've got anybody else like me in the room, but when I go out to restaurants, I feel like I have the palate of a Gordon Ramsay. 
Um, and to me, the chefs almost never get it completely right on the menu, right? So it's like, I like what you've had the idea of here. I like this, I like that, but I would like to request a customization. And um, anybody else, do I got any more customizers in the room? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Um, and uh, I'll pray, for, we'll do an altar call for the rest of you later, yeah. <laughs> Going with the flow, okay? Like, come on, swim upstream a little bit. And, uh, and so, you know, I like to customize things. My wife absolutely hates when I do it because it's like, are you really asking for something that's on the lunch menu for dinner? Like, it's obvious they don't have the bison here or they would have put it on the dinner menu. Just wanted the bison burger. Yeah, so either way. And so I'm customizing things and we had a great night. And, uh, but the reality is I didn't really get a good picture of what that chef really could have done because I changed his menu. If I want a full picture, if I want the best representation of what that chef had to offer, the smartest thing I could have done was say, bring me whatever you want. In other words, a tasting menu, right? A tasting menu is unchanging. It's like, here's what we're bringing. You can't change it. And you have, like, you just, this is what you're going to eat. That would have been the best way for me to experience the fullness of what that chef had to offer. And I found that Jesus is much the same way. God is not an a la carte God. This is not Buddhism. This is, the Bible says in John 14, 6, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So God is, God is a lot more like a tasting menu than he is an a la carte. And we're in this new, new series of, you know, kind of evangelism. And I think the worst thing we can ever do to reach people for Jesus is try and give people an a la carte experience of him. Because when you dilute the word, it fails to actually become the gospel. There, there is no half gospel. There's no partial gospel. It's either all or nothing. And that's good news, right? But when we try and dilute the word because we're nervous about this or that or how someone would perceive or, or we just don't like what's presented, then we become about as powerful as a coexist bumper sticker. I'll say that one more time. If we fail to embrace the entirety of Jesus in his word and live it out, obviously we need grace and we need mercy. We're never gonna completely get it. But if we don't pursue that and we try and pick it apart like a menu at a restaurant, we will become about as powerful as a coexist bumper sticker. Yep, and we can clap because it's not for us, right? It's for our friends that didn't make it yet. Those guys were at the nine. I was talking to them. Yeah, and we're still talking to them, right? But you're here, so take notes for them. The best thing we can do to reach people for Jesus in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, is to introduce people to the master chef and show with our lives because we've eaten the whole menu, because we've partaken in all of Jesus and his word, that the best thing you can ever do is to trust him with all of it. The Bible says that God is holy. I mentioned that earlier. John 4, 24 says, in the last days they will worship him in spirit and in truth. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Meaning, there is a point to us consuming truth. There is a point to us learning and speaking truth, and that is that we may grow up to be like Christ. Everything at Jesus' table is good, is right, and is best for our family, our city, and the world. And if we sit at the Lord's table, which is his presence, others will want to sit at our table. And that is how we can reach our city. So the title of this message is, Will You Sit at My Table? Will you sit at my table? And this is Jesus asking us if we'll sit at his table, not us asking him if we'll sit at his First step to sitting at the table of Jesus, which is coming to his presence, changing our city, is come hungry. Come hungry. In the same way that I did not eat a lot, eat a lot, whoa, that's the five hours of sleep of a newborn. In the same way that I did not eat a lot before date night, going to Lillian's, is the same way we should approach coming to the presence of God. We should come hungry, we should come thankful, and we should come expectant. Matthew 5, 6 says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. Psalm 23, 5 says that, David speaking, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Psalm 100, verse 4 says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. You see, how we approach the table of Jesus and the chef, Jesus, will determine our experience at the table. One of the worst things you can do is, I mean, this is kind of like a, you know, I shouldn't have to say this, but I'm going to say it. Don't avoid the table. Because if you miss the table, you miss the meal. If you miss the table, you miss the meal. Does anybody remember the most important meal in the New Testament? Could have been the Last Supper, right? And does anybody remember if anybody happened to miss that meal? Judas missed the meal, and betrayed in the garden. If you miss the meal, you might miss a moment. If you miss the meal and don't consume what Jesus wants to bring to you, you'll find yourself making decisions you never thought you'd make. I don't think Judas, when he began following Jesus, teacher, rabbi, I don't think he was like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to insert myself into this crew. And then at the very end, I'm going to turn on him, and I'm going to see that he's crucified. I think Judas missed a meal. I think Judas became familiar with being at the table and actually dismissed himself from the table even though he was at the table. I think there's a way to actually be in church but not be in church. I think there's a way to show up to prayer meeting without really being at prayer meeting. I think there's a way to be in connect without being connected. I think there's a way to be part of the church without really being part of the church. And I think familiarity is one of the most dangerous things that we can experience in our lives. You see, there's two ways to come to the table. You can come full, and that's a bad idea. That's entitlement. That's the Israelites in the wilderness. They had just been delivered by God from Egyptian slavery for 400 years, and they show up in the wilderness. They think they're heading to the promised land, and yet they, for some reason, at some point in time, forgot who delivered them, right? They were crying out to God. The Bible says they were crying out to God. 
that he would deliver them. And then he delivers them. They show up in the wilderness. They're getting ready to enter the promised land, and they dismiss their seat at the table. It says that, obviously, before they got, you know, the word came that God was like, hey, none of y'all are going, just these two, right? Like, talk about a party you're throwing if you're Joshua and Caleb, but at the same time, like, that's a little bit of some awkward evil stares they're getting, most likely as well. But right before that happened, a little bit before that happened, the thing that actually catapulted uh, the Israelites to actually be completely eradicated from the ability to go in the promised land was God was getting ready to enter relationship with Israel. He was getting ready to actually not have a priest, Aaron and Moses anymore, just them two. He was actually ready to engage a relationship with the people of God. And so he's getting ready, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come down. I'm gonna basically tell you what's gonna happen, how this relationship's gonna work. I'm gonna bring you my law and my order so that way you actually live in alignment and relationship with me and we have this amazing relationship. And then the people forgot who delivered them. They forgot what got them to where they were. And they said, you know what, we're good. Uh, Moses, Aaron, why don't you guys talk to God, have him talk to you, and then you come talk to us. In other words, I'm becoming independent of God. I no longer need him because he got me here and I'm comfortable now. And so if he can just talk, if we can just not do this relationship, and that was the catalyst to them not getting into the promised land. Then you could be like David. You can come hungry. I mean, know the life of David, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. You see this, the, the scriptures, he wrote all the, a lot of the Psalms. He was consistently coming to God, hungry and expectant, repentant, humble. God, I need you. God, I'm dependent upon you. God, everything I have, like, like he was completely surrendered. Except this one time. Except this one time, the Bible says that when kings normally go out to war, David stayed back. Why? Because he came to the table full. He said, I have everything I need. I've, my life is large enough at this point uh, to where I don't, I've, I've figured everything out to make it happen without God. And when you put yourself in a position like that, you put yourself in a position of compromise. Later on, when God's kind of rebuking David of this, he said in 2 Samuel 12, verse 8, I didn't give the guys a scripture, but He's talking to him, he says, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. I gave you both of the nations. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. So hold on, are you saying there's a connection between David's hunger for God and his backsliding? Is there a possibility that we have made our lives so small that we don't need God anymore? Is there a possibility that God wants us to have vision where there is no vision in the people? Is there a reason that it, God likes that we live large lives, prosperous lives? Is there a reason maybe besides the fact that he wants his kids to, to live in nice houses and his kids to enjoy nice, is, is there a possibility that he knows that unless we live in dependence of him, unless we stretch our responsibility, unless we live in a larger place that requires God to move, that we might miss the meal? One of the greatest pieces of wisdom Pastor Dr. Matt has ever given me was he said, anytime you feel like you don't need 
or need to stretch. He said, add responsibility. He said, that doesn't sound like the right thing. Do you mean, do you mean just do something? No, you mean add responsibility. Okay. Why? Because this life is a life of faith. Faith alone pleases God. I cannot activate faith if I am controlling everything, if I can do everything in my own strength. Here's the reality. This new house that we live in, I was kind of comfortable in the townhome. I was kind of comfortable in the condo. We could have done two kids in there. Like, we could have figured it out. But I could feel myself growing independent of God financially. I could feel myself, wow, I'm actually finally, took a long time, but I'm finally comfortable financially. And I love God. He knows what we need. He put a house in front of me that I didn't think I could afford, a house that I didn't think I could level into, a house that I knew I would actually need him to move in. And guess what? Because of that, now, and as I am growing into this house, I'm growing into greater faith. I'm growing into greater stretching, but I'm closer to God than I've ever been. Because why? Because I need him. I wonder if God is okay with us needing him. I wonder if it's a healthy thing for us to need him. Vision Builders is another great way for us to enlarge our responsibility, another way for us to stretch in a way that allows God to engage with us and to move. Every single year when my wife and I decide, hey, this is what we're gonna do for Vision Builders, it would be a lot more comfortable if we just didn't do Vision Builders in our personal, like it would just, it would be more comfortable. It would be easier. I could budget that. I could do this. I could do that. But I know that if I want all that God has for me, I have to stretch my faith. Because he wants me to live a large life, not just for me, but for the other people around me. So don't become so familiar with the things of God that you try and do them by yourself. We need to stay in thanksgiving and gratitude and expectancy. Examine ourselves. Are we hungry or are we full? If you're full, God wants to give you a bigger stomach. But you have to let him. And usually that comes with a bigger vision a way of helping more people, a way of adding responsibility to your life that he has ordered. And there's a way to recklessly do that, and there's a way to do that with God. Do it with God and get wisdom from your connect leader. Okay, point number two, eat everything on your plate. I grew up in the 90s, y'all, and that was still a thing. Eat everything on your plate. My mom taught me, eat everything. If you're showing up at somebody else's table, you eat everything on your plate, even if you don't want to. And now I like Brussels sprouts, right? Like... As Heather says, you just do it enough times, and eventually, freaking love Brussels sprouts. All right, with bacon. All right. <laughs> I grew up with this philosophy that when you sit at somebody else's table, you eat everything on the plate. And this is not a bad approach to coming to the table of Jesus. James 1.17 says that everything good comes from God. Psalm 145, 17 says, the Lord is unwaveringly righteous in all his ways and gracious and kind in all his works, which means he doesn't overcook the steak. He doesn't undercook the Brussels. He doesn't leave out the bacon, okay? If you leave out the bacon, you should, we'll pray for you. Proverbs 3, 5, 6, trust the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight and peaceful and abundant your paths that's what that word straight means if you wanted to know in the in the hebrew trust me i grew up jewish and catholic so don't even look it up just just trust me okay 
Revelation 3.16. This one's kind of intense. Hold your horses. So then, because you are lukewarm, anybody like a lukewarm meal? How about steak lukewarm? How about sweet potato casserole lukewarm? I don't know. It might not be terrible. Uh, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus likes for us to be in or out. Eat all that's at my table or don't come to my table. If you find yourself picking and choosing appetizers and first, if you, if you find yourself doing that, take a moment, repent, say, Jesus, I want everything you have. I'll take two. Read Psalm, Psalm 34, verse 8. I literally just said the quiet part out loud. Read Psalm 34, verse 8. Okay, I'll read Psalm 34. <laughs> Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Come on, amen. You see, everything God does is good, but we have to trust him when we don't understand. Humility is key to receiving the best in everything that we can at the table of Jesus. And here's how we do that. I don't do this when I go to restaurants, but I should do this, and I do this when I come to the table of Jesus. I'm gonna assume that you are the master chef. You know better than I do what I should eat. Right, it's like going to my daughter being like, hey, you gotta eat this healthy stuff. She's like, no, I want that. For a while, I was just like, okay, you wanna eat that? That's cute, you know what you wanna eat? Like, I'll let you eat that. And then my wife's like, no, she doesn't, we tell her what to eat. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right, Brielle. We tell you what to eat. Because if I just let her choose, she would choose things that are maybe tasty in the moment but are not good for her in the long term. In the same way, if I were to design the menu of God, there were some things I probably would have left out, which is why he didn't let me write the book. Because he, know what's best. he knows what's best. Why? Because he made us. And he wants us to function in our optimal ability and potential. And so there are some things that may not be appetizing, that may not look great, but are good for us to consume. You see, there's a difference between a baby Christian a baby Christian is someone who is brand new to the faith like I was eight years ago and who needs to kind of be spoon-fed. This is what you need to eat. Hey, you need to be in a connect group because you need a relationship. You need people that can sharpen you. You need people that can pray for you. You need people you can repent of your sin to. They can pray for you. You're healed. You need to, you know, show up to services because we glorify God. That's the first purpose of the church. We actually need to come together and glorify Jesus, right? We need to be in relationship. We need to learn how to read your Bible. You should do that. Like all the things, right? but they're willing to learn, they're willing to eat. Here's what a Christian Buddhist is. They're a baby Christian that never grew up. A Christian Buddhist says, I know that you said I should eat this and I should eat that and I should have this, but I'm only gonna have these things and I'm gonna have it on my terms. I'm gonna sit at this table, but only eat from these things and Jesus would call that lukewarm. You know what he does with lukewarm? Vomits it out of his mouth. Don't be a Christian Buddhist. Be a follower of Jesus. And there's plenty of times when, you know, I haven't quite understood. There's, there's times in the Bible when disciples didn't understand. It says in, in John 6, it's an entire chapter about these disciples who all showed up for this meal. They were hanging out. It's probably after the feeding of the five. Like, everyone was pumped. They're loving this Jesus stuff. They're like, this guy, he's the guy. And then he's like, all right, guys, here we go. I got some exciting news. I'm presenting something at the table that I'm asking you to eat if you want to follow me. He says, if you want to follow me, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. 
Okay, is that just the King James Version, or is there a... Is that in English? Yeah. No, yeah, 100%. It says that they asked him, Jesus, this is too hard of a saying. And it says that they all left, besides his 12. And so then they asked him, Jesus asked him, are you going to leave too? And they have this revelation, thank God, that we all need to have as believers. And this is the difference between real followers of Jesus and Christian Buddhists. Real followers of Jesus say, well, Jesus, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Christian Buddhists say, I'm going to find that somewhere else because it doesn't fit my palate. Well, guess what? You didn't make your palate. You don't get to decide what it looks like. You don't get to decide what you want, what you don't want. We get to consume all of it or none of it. So what has Jesus asked of us that we have not done or not been willing to do because it's too hard to understand? You see, this is what kept me from being a follower of Jesus for so long because I grew up around Christians, I call them Christian Buddhists, that said they believed something, it was in their Instagram bio, they wore a chain, but they lived zero differently than me. They chose what they wanted out of the word and then they chose what they didn't want. And obviously, everyone, we have to have grace for everybody, and it's not about that, but there's a, there's a living intentionally in sin, and there is a, I'm doing my best by the grace of God, I believe that God will continue to, to cause me to spiral upward. There's a, there's a difference in that. And so, because of that, I never wanted to go to their youth group, because I'm like, why would I go to your youth group when I go to the party and do exactly what you're going to do right after? Why don't I just skip the part where we're hypocrites? It wasn't until I met two Christians that actually lived like Christians that inspired me because of the fruit of their life, because of the joy of their family, because of the prosperity of their home, I accepted an invitation to come to church. Because I said, wow, this is actually different. And so when I got saved, I was like, there's no way I'm gonna be like those guys, you know, that I knew back in high school and junior, there's, I'm going to live differently. Not out of a religious thing. Obviously, Jesus died for me. I love him. I'm thankful for that. I'm going to respond in a way that is representative of that. But at the same time, I know that while I'm here, if I'm, if I'm still here, it means I'm meant to reach people. It means I'm meant to make disciples. It means that God's not done yet with this world and the people I can connect with. And so I decided, you know what? I'm going to live full on. Let's see what it looks like. I had no idea. what I read the Old Testament a little bit in Hebrew school, but I hadn't gotten to the, to the New Testament part because... The priests were not exactly that exciting in Catholic mass, and so I'd fall asleep. But I remember coming to church. You can't, you can't avoid the things. Like, this is not a church where we kind of pick and choose the menu. One of the, one of the first things that kind of got addressed in my life was this, you know, was tithing. And I was like, if I could have left something out of the menu, that might have been on the list, right? <clears throat> I had just blown $100,000 plus some, and uh, I was like, I don't think I have the money to tithe, but... I didn't follow Jesus to then go forget about the cross and pick up my life again. He told me to do this, so I'm going to do it. And I started doing it, and guess what? The promise came. Open heaven over my life. God rebuked the devourer, and I began to see, wow, this broccoli didn't taste that good when I did it, but now I can see how good I feel. I can see the benefits of it in my life. Guess what? I'm going to keep eating broccoli. 
I remember one of the one of the second things, one of the one of the, probably the more difficult things in my life was breaking the issue of pornography and breaking the issue of sleeping around and just being a person of the world because that was normal in my circle. That was normal in the world, and so they were like, "No, no, no!" You, like the Bible says, like we're meant to have you know one wife. We're meant to like not have sex till you're married. I I think I laughed. I don't I don't remember, but I do remember thinking that was for weirdos and not maybe five hundred thousand years ago, and. Um, and uh, I had this girlfriend that I was with uh, when I got saved. She was not saved. Uh, I tried to get her to church a couple times. She came high and drunk and then um, decided not to come back. And, uh, but I was like, I thought I was going to marry this girl. I thought I was going to be with her forever. And, uh, and so I remember I was like, but I felt like God was like, hey, you need to, you need to break up with her because I was, I was going to move in with her that summer. And I literally just started coming to church. I went out, my, this guy who invited me to disconnect, Ended up being my best man at my wedding, Jeff Q. Shout out. He uh, he brought he took me to lunch. He was easing me into the Christian life. He's like, "We'll go have a beer at a restaurant. A beer." I was like, "A beer? Do people do that?" <laughs> so we did, and uh, and we're in line. Like I've I've known the guy maybe 17 minutes, and we're in line. And he's like, "Oh, what are you up to this summer?" I'm like, "Oh, blah 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 blah." And uh, I'm gonna you know my girlfriend and I are moving in. He's like, "No, you're not." Bro, I don't even know you. Like, what's your last name? And what do you? But he processed it out with me. I went to men's prayer. I presented it to God. I, the night before, I said, God, if you want me to break up with this person, if we're not equally, or whatever, you're equally, whatever that means, like eggs, whatever the egg thing is that you're referring to, if you need that to happen, I'm not going to tell anybody when I get in the circle, you're going to need to tell somebody that I can't be with her. I get in the middle of the circle. There's this guy that just moved here a couple weeks ago. His name was Jeff Rutowski. He's now uh, an ordained pastor at our church. But he was two weeks into the church. I didn't know the guy. I get in the middle. I'm like, you guys, I got nothing. You're just going to have to pray for me. And then he's like, hey, man, I see a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's either a relationship or a business partner. If you don't end it now, God's plan for your life is probably shot. I was like, okay, Jesus. That feels like confirmation. So I did the hard thing, and I broke it off. Did I want to do that? No. Am I super glad I did? Of course, because I met the most beautiful, amazing, sanctified woman in the world that I married, have two beautiful kids with, and now get to live our best life together because I trusted God with the broccoli. Because I trusted God with the stuff I didn't want to eat. I said, I don't want to eat that. He said, I don't care. Eat it. Trust me and watch what happens. Just like a chef's tasting menu, choose to eat everything at the table, not just what looks good. Because if it looks good, it probably isn't good for you. Okay, last point. We're having fun. Invite everyone to the table. Invite everyone to the table. See, you can't eat from an amazing table and not tell other people about it. We were heading to date night on Thursday night, and we hadn't even gone yet, and we had texted Pastor Matt Michaela saying, you guys got to go to this place, and they were already thinking about going, but we hadn't even got there yet. And we were expecting. And then we got there and we're texting everybody. We're, you know, like, everybody's got to come here. It's amazing. The Brussels sprouts. And, um, and so uh, Jesus paints a picture of this in Matthew 22. It's a parable of him basically saying, hey, go out and invite everybody to my house. Because invite them to the table because at some point this table is going to be closed. At some point the door's shut. At some point there's not a way to get in. And while there is a way, find a way to get them to the table. And one thing that marked every encounter that Jesus had with people 
was that he couldn't stop them from going and telling other people about him. Every single time he healed somebody, every single time he saw someone, every single time he ministered, people couldn't help but go and tell other people and bring them to him. It's not like he was like, all right, guys, now go find three people and you go get three people and then you go get three people, right? He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't doing that. He was just like, I'm going to, he actually told people not to do it. But because they had an experience at the table in his presence, they couldn't help but go get other people and have them experience the same thing. They didn't even go to seminary first. They didn't go to Awaken You. Shout out, apply, 55525, Awaken You. For all of you that applied to PFA, great job. Few will get in, but great job. They just told people what Jesus had done for them. So who have we brought to Jesus lately? Who are we planning to bring to Jesus this coming season? I was just thinking about this because I was, I was talking to... Um, you know, with Night of Christmas coming, Twisted coming, all the things that are such amazing. It's not like we have nothing else to do as a church. We're like, you know what we should do? Let's rally hundreds of volunteers. Let's invest a lot of money to go rent out the biggest, best possible venue in the city. And let's just go have some fun for a couple nights. No, no, no. We believe that God has put this church in this city to reach it, to see it saved, to see it delivered, to see it healed. Pastor Yerland still believe that San Diego is worth fighting for, worth saving, that California is still worth fighting for, worth seeing saved. And I was thinking about this because I, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly like, okay, this coffee spot, who are we bringing? You know, we're just, we're, we're constantly thinking about who we're buying tickets for. And I was thinking about this because I, I was uh, talking to a friend a couple weeks ago who, uh, we were friends before I got saved eight years ago. And we had been talking pretty regularly. He lived in Miami. We we're doing some business stuff together. And, uh, and so we were kind of in the personal development world. We were kind of seeking after, but we didn't know, we didn't know we were looking for Jesus. And, uh, and so we, you know, I, I came home from getting saved that night and I literally call him. It's like late his time. I'm like, dude, I figured it out. I found, I found it. He's like, found what? I'm like, I found the answer. I found Jesus. He's like, okay, what do you mean? I'm like, bro, you got to come to this church. Because I didn't know there were other churches like this. I don't know if there are, but I did. I just was like, this is the only place he'll be able to hear about. Because I didn't know how to explain what, what God, I just knew Jesus. And so he's like, well, how, I'm in Miami. What do you want me to do? I'm like, well, you're going to be in Phoenix. We're going to be in Phoenix together, you know, in a few weeks. Why don't you just rent a car from Phoenix, drive to San Diego for nine hours, and then get here by the 5 p.m. Your flight, your flight, you said your flight was at that. Yeah, you could totally make it, bro. He's like, you want me to drive nine hours straight? And then, I, and then we gotta go back? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's worth it, bro. You gotta be here. And so, and I was like, okay, when you get here, cause he agreed. He said, when, I was like, when you get here, we're gonna sit up somewhere. We're gonna sit in a seat. And then the person's gonna talk for a while. You might understand a couple things, but one thing I need you to understand is at the very end, they're gonna ask who wants to respond to Jesus. Here's what I need you to do. You're gonna raise your hand. Then they're gonna say, who wants to come down? You're gonna come down. I'll go with you. It's fine, someone went with me. I'll come with you. And then you're gonna stand at the altar. They're gonna pray and they're gonna go in the back room. Then we're gonna talk. It's gonna be great. But you're gonna give your life to Jesus. He's like, okay. So he comes, he drives, barely makes it like 4.57, gets into service. And then literally at the end, I'm like, hey, it's the time, it's time. He's like, okay. Slips up his hand. We come down to the front. We pray. We go in the response lounge. The guy who's praying for us in the response lounge is like, oh, okay, you know, where are you from? Blah, blah. He's thinking like North Park, Miami, Miami, Florida. Yeah. Okay, what are you doing here? Well, my friend said I had to be here. 
My friend said I had to be here. He's like, you know, there's other churches. He's like, you didn't tell me that. I was like, I didn't know. I just knew you had to be here. I just knew you couldn't keep living like you were living because at some point this table's gonna close. And I wouldn't be comfortable not doing my best to get you here. So we were catching up because over the last eight years, the, you know, when my friend went back, we found him a church. He brought a few friends and then those people brought a few friends and they all do business together now. And this last year, a couple years ago, they brought 200 people on a Sunday to church from their non-church people. And then a few months ago, they brought 800 people to church in one Sunday, in one Sunday. I didn't know what was gonna happen, but I did know he had to be at the table that I could get him to. God knows what happens after. I just knew I had to do my part. I didn't know a thing. I just knew he had to be here. And then a few years ago, uh, actually you know, maybe, maybe five years ago, I was working at a startup, tech startup, and we had these founders that didn't know Jesus. And I was like, I'm gonna get these guys to church. And uh, I, I tried, they wouldn't come to anything. They wouldn't come to anything. And I'm like, all right, well, uh, you know, I was having a conversation with them one day and one of the guys was like, hey, he was saying how his girlfriend really loves musicals. I'm like, of course, of course she does. I was like, good news. Our church puts on a musical, and I know what you're thinking. It's not lame. <laughs> Think Broadway, but better, right? It's like legit 80s rock music. It's super epic. I already got you guys tickets. He's like, you got us tickets? I'm like, yeah, which, which show are you guys going to? What, which, which night's best for you guys? He's like, uh, like Thursday. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, got, I can get those. Yeah, I got, I got those. I can get those. And uh, so I got him tickets, him and his girlfriend. They came. They sat down at the very end because it's, it's basically a gospel presentation, but masked in, you know, entertainment and just this incredible performance. And, and so at the end, we actually gave an appeal for people to respond to Jesus. And she raised her hand. So I was like, yes, but dang it, he didn't raise his hand. I need him to get saved. And, uh, and so a few months later, I know Hero's coming around. I'm like, hey, guys, we got another musical. And they loved it. So they're like, all right, yeah, we'll come. I'm like, I got you tickets. They're like, can we get one more? I'm like, one more, sure. And because uh, I didn't say, hey, okay, then you guys go buy them. When it comes to his table, I don't like taking a lot of risk. Because if it costs me 20 bucks to get an opportunity for someone to sit at the table of Jesus, I'm going to pay $20 every single time. And if your world is too small at this point to be able to do that, then come and ask somebody, hey, I need help getting a friend there and then help me prosper more. Step one, start tithing, open windows. Step two, get involved with vision builders in larger life and then see what God can do. Because you might have 50 friends that would come if you just bought them tickets. And so they wanted one more ticket because her mom was diagnosed with uh, rare blood disease and really liked musicals, but it, they just needed something fun to do with her around this Easter time. So I said, of course you guys can come, of course you can come. So they come, and this is like an in-your-face gospel presentation, literally the gospel presentation, Jesus on a cross gospel presentation. So it's like, oh, it's game over. And uh, at the end, appeal made, and all three of them lift their hands and respond to Jesus. 
I pray with her afterwards and believe that God has completely eradicated the sickness from her body. The next few months, I heard reports, hey, she's doing really great. Hey, she's, you know, she's on the mend. The doctors don't really know, like, it's awesome. And then I'm getting ready to invite him back to Twisted because I had stopped working there at this point. And uh, I reach out, say, hey, guys, three tickets this time anymore? He says, actually, we're not going to be in town. Uh, her, his girlfriend's mom had just passed away. And... I knew and he knew where she was. You can't pay for that kind of peace. You can't pay for that kind of comfort because I still wrestle with where's my dad? I don't know where my dad is, but I know where she is. I know where the people that I've at least done my best to get to the table are. And we can have that same experience as well. And so I want us just to take a moment close our eyes because this city desperately needs us and I wonder if just a couple people if we just bought them tickets what would happen if we just invited them to see what God wanted to do in their lives what could happen so as you close your eyes I want I'm praying that God would just highlight two three five maybe more people that you could buy tickets for that you could rally that you could invite, that you could with all the passion in your heart find a way to get there. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are highlighting right now the people that you have called us to impact, the people that you have called us to reach, the baristas, the family members, the waitresses, the co-workers, the teachers. Holy Spirit, who have you been drawing into our life? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would, as soon as the invitations go out, that you would go before us, that you would pull on their heart and actually have them excited and ready to come. We thank you, Father, that they would even add other people to the invitation, that they would actually bring people and that your city would be saved and that we would experience the peace that surpasses understanding when we know that people have responded to Jesus. Amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.